All right, I'm glad to be back for another episode of the Bakari Souls Podcast. Today, um, I have a, a brother of mine, somebody I go all the way back to playing Tiger Woods golf with at Morehouse College on the PlayStation a long, long time ago, but who is now a big wig at the United Negro College Fund, or as we affectionately call it, the UNCF. And he's been on the show before, but my brother, Rodriguez Murray, how are you? Doing good, Bakari. Tell me, how's everything going for you? Man, I'm I am more blessed than I deserve. How was homecoming? It's, it's, it's apparent you made it back to work, so I didn't go, and so uh, uh, I didn't get a chance to make it down there, which was a big deal because this was the 20 year frat line cross thing, and so don't get it started. I don't want my line brothers to see this interview and start calling me because I broke any new ground on your show that I haven't told them. So don't get into it. Oh, I, I know. I'm going to have to talk to my brother, Monty Bell, about that because he was going down and and we will we will get to the bottom of that on another episode of how Rodriguez Murray, of all people, could miss his 20 year. Reunion. Wait a minute. I did give Monty. Monty was one of two people that got a before homecoming phone call. So I'm good with Monty. You got to bring somebody else. <laughs> I got you. I got you. You've been on the show before, so. I won't have you walk us through the arc of your career. I will tell people that this is the king of Augusta, Georgia. Outside of that, uh, talk to us about what's been happening with the United Negro College Fund of the past year since we've last talked. And for people who may not understand what UNCF does or is, what do you do primarily? And what are some of the big ticket items that you've been working on for the UNCF? Sure. So UNCF is the nation's premier scholarship um, kind of conglomerate for minorities. So we're the number one private provider of scholarships to minorities, and we're only the second um, private provider of scholarships across the country, period. So we award $100 million in scholarships to 10,000 students at 1,100 different colleges and universities. Um, and so we impact a lot of lives. And I'm a former UNCF scholar, so I sing his praises. Um, I've gone from a UNCF scholar to executive at the organization turn good, I hope. Um, in addition to that, we represent the interest of HBCUs, particularly private ones like our alma mater, Morehouse. Um, and I think we do a pretty good job at it. We do the government affairs stuff for the institutions, but we also do a, a whole number of other shared services for the institutions. One of the big things we've been working on, um, we went from being really optimistic about the president's debt relief plan, impacting it. We're the people that convinced them to do Double the debt relief for Pell eligible students, for the students that come from the lower socioeconomic backgrounds. We convinced them of that. Uh, we went from being optimistic about that to being disappointed from Supreme Court rulings about debt relief, um, about affirmative action, to taking action. And now one of the really big things we're working on is the fact that so many HBCUs, over half of them, have been threatened. Uh, with bomb threats or other threats, ranging from bomb threats, ranging from threats about if the students go and vote or if polling places on the campus and going all the way to the shootings in Jacksonville, Florida, um, where the, the shooter, the gunman, started out on Edward Waters University campus. And so now the big deal is trying to get the money to beef up the security on HBCU campuses so that we meet the moment and stop having to read about these events yeah. that if one more thing, if one more line uh, wasn't crossed, then it could have been a catastrophe on one of our 100 plus HBCU campuses. And so we're trying to prevent it 
before it actually happens. Is that a resources question or is that a question about, because I mean, not all, but some campus security and chiefs are in their uh, later years, they've already served or they uh, just stumbled across the opportunity. Some are not qualified as law enforcement. Talk to me about what are some of the things you're doing in place to prevent that? Because right now we're, we're seeing the same thing happen throughout the South that black churches trying to be more proactive than have to have another mother male. So it's a resource issue. And that means. Well, let me back up because it's not just resources. Um, the FBI could have been doing a better job about this, meaning that. If it's true that a majority of the first or second wave of threats came from juveniles, the fact that there wasn't a more public way of disciplining the youngsters so that others, copycats, could be deterred has allowed these threats to continue and has allowed, you know, in the last couple of weeks, a couple of guys tried to drive on Tougaloo's campus with loaded nine millimeters. And if they had not been stopped by campus police at the front gate checkpoint, who knows what would have happened? And so these kinds of incidences continue to roll on. Um, I'm convinced that national law enforcement could do better, um, but I'm also convinced that the federal government, if they can't get the law enforcement piece together, then they need to provide the resources to increase security, create plans on the campus, get physical barriers, and to hire more security guards. Edward Waters, a relatively small university, had four full-time guards wow. um, in the day that the issue happened. And one of those guards is nothing short of a hero for helping to stop the issue. So Tougaloo is a campus um, that's not huge, and they don't have a large police force. But if their police at the front gate had not joined in and made sure that they checked the individuals that were trying to come on two weeks ago, it could be a very different outcome. And so we need those resources from the federal government. We pinpointed where they need to come from. It's in the Department of Homeland Security. It's in a FEMA program. It's the Nonprofit Grant Securities Program. And it's a successful program that's well-funded because that program is the same program that the synagogues use to get their money to make sure that they're strong and other, um, other entities like high schools make sure that their entities are strong. So we figured we need to be in the same game. And because HBCUs are getting the contemporary threats of the day, we need to get the money. That's true. A lot of press has been about public HBCUs and funding lately. But can you talk about some of the unique challenges our private HBCUs and what kind of policy solutions are there to help address the issues our private institutions face? I was just on a panel at the HBCU, the White House HBCU initiative, I think. And I had the president from Bowie State, who's amazing. The president from Paul Quinn, who's amazing. Yeah. Um, and the president from Hampton. Um, oh, and of course, the president from uh, South Carolina State. And the president from Hampton always articulating some of the unique challenges those private institutions have. Can you go into that a little bit for me? So private institutions and public institutions, once you get to the collegiate level, it doesn't mean the same thing it meant at the high school level. Um, what it means is that public institutions get money from their state and private institutions don't. And the public institutions, along with getting the money from their state, they get all the the strings attached from the state with the governor and state legislators being all in their business and about who's leading the schools. 
Yep. In addition to that, um, private institutions have a lot of challenges that publics don't have. And so the publics are pretty much anchored by the full faith and credit of their state. Privates have to get it how they live. They have to make it on their own. And, and that means that when they uh, borrow banks, banks often make them leverage a whole lot of the campus uh, just to get the same terms and conditions that publics and non-HBCUs get. Um, and then infrastructure is really the big deal. Like, you know, the state's not spending the money to build the buildings on your campus like they do at public institutions. They're not building those same labs. You have to do all of that through private giving um, or finding better loan rates. And so private institutions really catching, trying to keep up technologically, trying to keep up infrastructure wise and trying to make it so that the campus is palatable and attractive to students um, while also running a good enterprise, while also creating labs that will bring in a whole lot of resources in the future. And so it's pretty rough for private institutions, but they also tend to have generally really good reputations like Morehouse Private Institution. Spelman Private Institution, Xavier Down in, in New Orleans, Dillard, both uh, private institutions. So they have really good reputations for um, all the things they've done in the past, but they're catching it in terms of the lack of resources. And then publics are making up for lost time in terms of what the states haven't done for them. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48 inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Let me ask you this. Talk to me about the current FY24 federal budget. What's in it for private HBCUs that UNCF represents? And, and generally, what has been the experience with the US UNCF on a larger question of working with the Biden administration? So we don't really know what's in the appropriations bills, and that's still rough for us. Um, we know kind of what was in the Senate bills, some of them. We don't really know what was in the House bills. Some of the House bills were so bad that they've never been made public yet because they had so many cuts. And, and members have had to go home lately so much that they don't want their members to catch it. Um, and so we don't know what was in the big bill that funds education and health and human resources, the healthcare stuff. We don't know what was in that bill yet. And it's the 1st of November. Um, and so that's hard for because it's hard to impact what you don't know. Um, what we want to be in there, we want more money for publics and privates for our core program, our Title III Strength in the HBCUs program. We want more money to going towards doubling the Pell Grant to help poorer students achieve higher education with less debt 
We want to make sure that infrastructure needs on campuses are being met. And we want to make sure that all HBCUs are protected from all these bomb and other kinds of threats. Um, and we want to get that FEMA money to our campuses and we want to get it directly to our campuses, not having to go through state red tape, not having to go through an application process because our schools have not had to apply to be terrorized. So they shouldn't have to apply for the Fed's money. I'm going to ask you a simple question. It's probably a complicated answer. We hear every HBCU president, not every, that's a generalization, but 90% of them articulate that the number one problem they have is infrastructure slash deferred maintenance on campus. Yet we hear that HBCU uh, uh, enrollment across the country is growing. Um, how do you reconcile the two of those things and what needs to be done to quote unquote stand in the gap? So the current success of HBCUs is a snapshot. But when you pull the picture back and see a panoramic, you see decades where state funding was low. You see decades and decades where federal funding has not met the mark. And, you know, we talk about enrollment, but that's just the money for today and right now. Um, you have to look back at the past and look at the lack of resources that have come to HBCUs, even while they were doing a tremendous amount of in output to help build the black middle class. And so it's those decades of being under-resourced that are still part of the current problem. If the money's coming in today and there's still debts from yesteryear, that doesn't always reconcile. So the enrollment can be up, the outlook for HBCUs can be up, but there still is a need for you to go back and actually apply the funding that you should have 30, 40, or 50 years ago to make our present and our future whole. And that's not just a federal government thing. That's not just a state thing. That's also a philanthropic thing, you know, for philanthropic leaders to make sure that they are giving a strong look and an equal look at HBCUs as that they would give a predominantly white institution is huge. You know, we can't have two classes of giving. And we've had some philanthropists working with our president and CEO, Dr. Michael Lomax, that really stepped up to the plate those that uh, founded Netflix, for instance, done huge things, and there are others. Uh, but we have to make sure that it's not just looking at feds, not just looking at states, but also philanthropy. But all three entities have to come together to make sure that these institutions get the funding that they need and deserve because of the output and the product that we put out. Shout out to Dr. My Michael Lomax. Um, that's your homie, I know. Huh? I said, that's your homie, I know. That's my guy. I mean, he's my favorite person over at the UNCF. Uh, <laughs> so, look, I, I had a question that's been in my craw a little bit. You know, my dad was a president of a member institution uh, of UNCF at Voorhees College. I wonder, <laughs> where's the next generation of UNCF college presidents coming from? You have Dr. Rosalind Artis, who I would argue is one of the best HBCU presidents we have Absolutely. going. I don't know how long she'll be at Benedict, but we're thanking God she's there every day. You have Dr. Warmack, who is, I, I thought the worst job in all of America was going to Claflin University after Henry Tisdale because of how great a president he was. Like, mm -hmm. where are we? Is, is UNCF, uh, is there an intentional effort to cultivate and train the next generation of HBCU leadership, um, both at the presidential and C-suite level, but also future board members? I mean, is Rodriguez Murray going to be president of Voorhees College one day? 
Thanks a lot, Ricard. Yeah, so first, there, there's a lot of work going in to create the next generation of HBCU leaders, next generation of higher education Black leaders. Um, you look at the current kind of new crop of HBCU leaders, they're doing their own thing. And so there's something called HEALTH. Um, it's a higher education leadership program that young Black HBCU presidents are putting on themselves. And so they have a curriculum. Um, you can apply to be a part of it, and, and you can go through classes, and it'll help prepare you for the next generation. In addition, the former president of Bennett College in Greensboro, North Carolina, um, Dr. Phyllis Dawkins, is leading uh, a similar effort on Clark Atlanta University's campus under George French. He's the president there. And, and they're taking future HBCU presidents and future HBCU leaders through a curriculum. UNCF is supportive of both. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen to me. Um, and, and Voorhees hadn't come calling yet. But <laughs> I, I do want to say that, that the institutions um, are in good hands because there's a crop of hungry leaders. Some of them went to HBCUs, but not all of them. And so you talked about Dr. Uh, Rosalind Clark Artis. You talked about Dr. Wormack. Um, you also have to look at Herman Felton down at Wiley College. He's on his second HBCU presidency. You have to look at um, the president of Virginia Union University, uh, Dr. Lucas. Um, you have to look uh, all across Did the board. And they, and they have to get to more women because the women really are, yeah. are changing Virginia the game. State has a dope president too. Shout out to Virginia State's president up there as well. Yeah. Virginia State has an amazing president. I, I know this isn't your wheelhouse per se, but it made news, so I have to ask the question. I want to talk about the letters that the president sent to these governors, primarily of southern states, about HBCU land grant funding and states not matching the money sent from Washington. It, it Explain to our listeners what that means in very generic terms, please. So what that was, was a good housekeeping seal of approval from the president of the United States and his secretaries saying to the states where HBCUs are located, where they have land grants, that you've done something for the white land grant institutions in your state. By federal law, you were required to do the same thing for the black land grant institutions in your state. You haven't done it. And we've done the calculations for the last 30 or 40 years. And then they made the letters public, which kind of was really the game changer. Sending them was big, but then making the public was a really big deal. And so for um, the president, the secretaries to do that was a real game changer because it makes those state leaders, not just governors, but the legislators think like the appropriations chair in all of those states, look at what they should have been doing, what they've been underfunding HBCUs and how they can change that. And the fact that now the public knows it. So it's not like some swept under the rug secret in your state capital anymore. It's national news. And um, I think it was like one of the biggest deal things I've seen the Biden administration do um, in higher education period, not just in HBCUs, but in higher education period and for equity. One of the biggest things they've done for equity that no one could take away or strike down. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one 
because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Speaking of the Biden administration, you know, it's an election coming up in 2024. Joe were to call you today and say, you know, what should the next four years look like from your perch? I'm not talking about foreign policy or, or how to, you know, raise the GDP, but uh, what did you what do you say to him about what he can do better, different, the same uh, in your space and worldview? So if you want to impact the black middle class, if you want to impact uh, students of color that are coming from like the lowest socioeconomic realms, you have to invest in HBCUs. And you have to put the money where the students can actually touch it. And so that means actually doing it in a way where you're not applying for it. So you have to make it so that certain triggers actually go off if you are from a so certain socioeconomic class and you want to go to college. So the Pell Grants got to go up. SEOG got to go up. And you got to make it so that it hits the students and the students aren't having to work hard for it. In addition to that, you have to do the investment on HBCU campuses because HBCUs do a better job of those types of students. And so if you compare what Morehouse or any other HBCU does with a black um, student coming from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and you compare that to what a PWI is doing with that same student, HBCUs with fewer resources have a better chance of making that student successful than an institution with a high endowment in every resource you can name. And so if that's the case with no resources, imagine what if you really funded those institutions the way you should. And so you've got to put the money talk where about, the students can impact. Talk about this too. You, you mentioned the money and resources, mm -hmm. but talk to me about duplicative programs. When you say duplicative programs, say more. Uh, programs that the state has put at these predominantly white institutions, which draw away resources, et cetera, uh, marine biology or whatever it may be from students that otherwise would be able to attend um, HBCUs. Are you, I mean, it, it's been a claim that's been filed in some of these lawsuits throughout the country. And it was one of the reasons why the Maryland lawsuit was so successful, 
because the state of Maryland on purpose did that. Um, states need to stop playing with these schools like that. If you're going to do it at the HBCU campus, that's also a public institution, um, you've got to let students, no matter what their background or their color, if they want to be in that program, they have to come to that HBCU. Stop duplicating them and putting more resources at the non-HBCU version across the state. You have to stop it. The, the federal judges in Maryland, they've already ruled in favor of the HBCUs on that. And states across the country have to learn from Maryland that that's not the way to go. And if you do it, you're going to lose. So they just need to stop it and let the HBCUs thrive in the programs that the states are assigning to. Last question. Tell folks what you do in a daily basis. And before I let you go, talk about the ups and downs of, of Rodriguez Murray's day on the front lines fighting for uh, our HBCU, something we all love, but I'm not sure we know the work that goes into it. Absolutely. So the daily basis looks like you you wake up, you digest a whole bunch of information in the morning, and then you got to go out and do these meetings. And so you have to explain to people who really agree with you on one end of the spectrum, like Sanford Bishop. Uh, and then you have to explain it to people who couldn't care less about an HBCU, even if they have one in their district. And you have to convince them their resources belong at those institutions. You fill a bunch of calls uh, from, from your father's colleagues, presidents of HBCUs, that all they understand is that they need more resources and you have to go out and get them for them. Um, HBCU presidents are pretty demanding. Uh, and, and members of Congress in their offices are pretty demanding. Um, and then you've got your boss, you got Dr. Lomax, you got the board of directors. It's all pretty demanding. And, and so issues are changing every day. You have to stay on top of them and you have to field all of these requests. But uh, it's terribly gratifying, but it's not the easiest job in the world. And so the thing that people go home to every October and early November and enjoy if you have to make that thing thrive every day, um, and this is something that the presidents and administrators of the institutions, they go through, um, and we do too at USCF, when you have to make that thing that everybody looks forward to for one week a year, when you have to make it thrive and you have to make it better for them when they come back next year, um, it's pretty hard. And then now the way the bills are going, you only get one bite at the apple. So if you're not in the FY24 appropriations bill, if you miss that ship, then you've missed it for the year because they're not going to move those bills again until this time next year. So you have to fight hard to make sure that you're in there. And this, um, it's not easy. Knowing this is a zero-sum game, it's not easy. How can people follow UNCF, the good work on social media, everything else, find out what y'all are doing? Yeah, it's at UNCF Everything. Um, I encourage people to also go to our website, www.uncf.org, uh, put your email in and get on the list, sir, so we can tell you not just about the work that I'm doing in my department, but then you can also know about all those 400 different scholarship programs that we fund a year uh, because everybody needs money to go to college. Everybody knows somebody who had to take out a student loan. Um, it's time to make sure students aren't taking those loans out and they actually apply and get scholarships. The money is out here. We just have to make sure it gets to the students that need it the most. And so we want everybody applying to all of our scholarships. None other than Augusta's finest. No, he didn't go to Josie Elaney. In fact, they wouldn't let him in. Um, but that's a whole nope. nother story. That's a whole nother story. Lajigas Murray, I love you, brother. Thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Love you too, man. Take care. Thanks.